want to welcome you back to uh, week six of Alpha. This is just flying by. The weeks are flying by and we're grateful to have you here. Anybody here tonight for the very first time? Any first timers? Yeah. How many of you uh, were in Orlando today at any point in time and made it back for Alpha tonight? Anybody? Whoa, that's amazing. Brittany. Brit- did you drive, Brittany, or did you fly? I drove. So, uh, <laughs> this woman drives from Disney World to come to Alpha. <laughs> I tell you, it really, that's incredible. That's incredible. All right, this better be good. <laughs> it better be good. <laughs> oh, I know what we'll do. Anyway, I do want to welcome you guys back. Hey, first thing I want to remind you, last week we talked about the fact that a part of the Alpha course is an Alpha weekend. And it's May 11th, the evening of May 11th. It looks like a Tuesday night, but it's a Friday night. And then the morning of May 12th with a phenomenal breakfast that uh, Pete Shefferstein will prepare for us. I told you last week, if you're trying to get your cholesterol level up, this is where you need to be on Saturday. So... Friday night will be session 9, so it's part of the course. Session 9 will be that Friday night, May 11th, and then May 12th, the morning, will be session 10. So I don't want you guys to get all caught up in registering for this right now because it'll keep you away from uh, what I'm very excited about tonight, and uh, that's more than what I'll be talking about. But uh, tonight's topic is, you know, why and how do I pray and uh, it's really, this is an introduction at best to a massive, wonderful topic of prayer. But before we get into that topic, I, I have the, the privilege, I want to I introduce you to some dear friends of, of Annette's and mine and so many here at the church. Annette and I have had the privilege of knowing uh, Ray and Linda Pratt's for, oh my gosh, over two decades, yeah. at least, yeah, so, 95, so... But they've got an incredible story, all due to God's amazing grace. And uh, they had people that were praying for them. They didn't even know it. That people were praying for them. And they were going to experience God making something of their lives that they never expected, never imagined. And I'm so grateful to, to call them friends and so grateful to have them here tonight to share their story with you. So welcome, please, Ray and Linda Pratt. Now this this is y'all are gonna come up here, right? Oh, okay. I know, it's right. But this is the after picture. I did want to show you the the before picture of uh there they are. Now, th- th- <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh wait, wait, I have one more. I have one more just in case no. you were Yeah, and, and, and Ray is Ray is Ray is on the public circuit now, so he's trying out a part in a in Brittany in a Disney show that's coming up real soon. There's Ray. I, I'm not quite sure <laughs> what that is. Okay, all right, you can that's, carry. That's King Candy right there, King Candy. 
Right. Well, I want to want to thank Frank for giving us an opportunity to, to share uh, uh, the story of the goodness of God. Um, um, so I, I'm a Holy Cross guy, and Linda's a Holy Angels girl, and um, so we met each other in high school, got married in 1973, and got divorced in 1993. Uh, if you're on the outside looking in, you would have said that. They have a textbook marriage. I mean, everything that you would want. Um, unlike Frank, uh, I decided to go to college, so I graduated from Tulane University. <laughs> in 74, Linda uh, got a degree in nursing. So we both college graduates, great jobs, great money, lived in the Chateau Estates, had two great sons. Um, man, we had, it, we had it going on. Um, our friends used to tell us... Um, you know, you guys, you've got the Midas touch. Everything you touch turns to gold. And case in point, 1984, we were presented with an opportunity to get involved in the World's Fair. Now, all the financial experts and bankers told us, don't do it. It's financial suicide. Don't, please don't do this. Well, I'm from the Third Ward. And the Third Ward... Um, you know, I spent some of my misspent youth at the fairgrounds betting the horses. And we used to have a saying, you know, we'd say, like I'd say, Rooster, who you like in the, in the second race? He said, number two, who you like? And I said, and I'd say, um, I'm going to take a shot at number five. So I consulted with Linda about the World's Fair. And we said, we're going to take a shot. So we took a shot. And we invested in the World's Fair. And six months later... 1984, we grossed over a million dollars selling soft ice cream. Now, just to give you a perspective, in 2018, that million dollars in 1984 is $5 million today. So I'm 33 years old, just grossed $5 million in a six-month business. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm, I'm high on a hog. When I bought a Mercedes-Benz, had diamond in the back, sunroof top. Digging a scene with the gangster lead. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. <laughs> but with all our success, man, there was just something missing. I couldn't put our, we couldn't put our finger on it. Just something wasn't clicking. And there's, a, there's, a, there's one weekend I, I can recall that really personified this. On 4th of July weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, there were 120 to 150,000 people at the fair. Now, back then, everything was cash, no cards. So we were so busy. It was, it was, it was absolutely chaos. So we take the money and put it in a, a duffel bag. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, we finally, you know, we closed the, 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 the shop, went to a hotel right outside the fair, and I took the money. And I dumped it on top of the bed in a hotel room. Well, my son Trey was 10 and Christian was 3. And they, would, they got a running start. They were running head first into the pile of money. They were throwing it up in the air. They were rolling around on the ground. Linda was taking $20 bills going, Oh, gosh, this feels... Oh, this, this is unbelievable. And I got to tell you, I sat in my chair and watched my family excited and exuberant. And I'll never forget this. There was this emptiness in the pit of my stomach. It was almost nauseating. 
And I remember sitting down and saying this. Is this it? Is, it, is this all there is? Is this, this is it? And so after the fair, Linda and I kept trying to fill that, that void with all kind of different stuff. And in, in actually in April of 1993, we just decided we were tired of trying to fill it. And we got divorced. That divorce was the first failure, really deep failure for me, and I was just angry about it. Um, I was upset about it. I wanted to figure out why did this happen. So I started asking a bunch of questions just about life. What's life all about? And I went to all the different people that are supposed to know, and I got no help. I was very frustrated. And then I had a guy who I played football with at Tulane, who was actually a Jesuit graduate. Now, I'm a Holy Cross guy. Can you imagine this? This is like oil and water. You understand? But this guy was a maniac. Some of you guys probably know him. I mean a maniac. And he pursued me and asked me to go to a Bible study. And I went, is you crazy? A Bible study? Look, I said, look, I, I can't be around those Jesus freaks. They're going to be rolling on the ground, probably like they have an epileptic seizure, you know, and speaking in tongues. I said, I, I can't be around it. That's, that's too weird. And he said, look, I ain't going to stop until you come. And he meant it. So I said, okay, probably like some of you guys got invited to this Alpha course. It's like, all right, you invited me 50 times. I'm coming this time. I'm coming. So I said, all right, I'm going to go. I'm 43 years old, and I sit next to his wife. I don't have a Bible, and I read out of her Bible. I remember when the session was over, I looked at my buddy, and I went, where has this book been all my life? This is unbelievable. So the people that ran the Bible study gave me a Bible, and I started reading on my own. Every Wednesday night, I'd go, I'd go, I'd go. And I was about two months reading the Bible, and I thought I was a pretty good person, I was full of pride and arrogance, thought I was a good guy. And the more I read the Bible, the more the Bible said, you ain't so good, right? It was a reality check. And he st- God started showing me the arrows of my way. He started showing me some of the things I did with Linda that hurt our marriage. I, I always thought it was her fault. But then God started revealing um, sin issues in my life. And I remember on December 8th, 1994, I woke up, and it was just uh, something going on that was different. And I said, you know what, God, I, I don't know a lot about what I'm reading. I mean, I got so much more I got to learn, but I do know this. If I die today, I'm going to hell. I'm not going to heaven because I don't have you. Now, uh, you made an offer as I'm reading your word. And you say, if I accept you and call on your name, that you come and you forgive my sins. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take a shot with Jesus Christ. I'm going to give it a shot. And I remember the moment I said those words, that hole that had been present for years got filled immediately. And a thousand pound weight was lifted off my chest. And I had a piece that I... I've never experienced before. So, I'm a new creation. I'm excited. I'm on fire. Well, guess who the first person I choose to go tell about this new thing. So, I will hand the phone, uh, the uh, microphone over to my wife, and I'll tell you the gory details. He doesn't stop with those jokes. We're going to get divorced for the second time. <laughs> 
Well, while Ray was finding Jesus, I was finding out what was the next bar I was going to. I was, I was partying. Anybody knows anything about nursing? OR nurses are probably the wildest nurses there are out there. and I was one of them. So he shows up and carting a Bible under his arm. And he came in and I'm like, what has he done now? So he starts the finger up in the air, the Bible in the other hand. Man, you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're never going to reach the kingdom of heaven. And I'm like, oh, he has finally lost it. (laughs) So I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I can't deal with another one of your schemes. Hit the road. Stay away from my boys because you are dangerous. So with that, he took his little Bible in his hand, his tail between his legs, and he left. And we didn't talk unless we had to talk about our sons. So fast forward a little bit, in typical fashion, we didn't call it Good Friday, we called it Great Friday. We got reps to take us out for drinks and more drinks and more drinks and more drinks. And we all ended up being completely plastered for the night. And they ended up, because Ray had Christian and Trey was at LSU, that um, they all ended up crashed at my condo. And I woke up the next morning Man, I had a great time. I have to tell you, I had a really good time. But then there was that emptiness in me, thinking, what? I kicked everybody out, and as I was hysterically crying in my bathroom, I felt like there were, no, I didn't see any visions or anything like that, but I felt like there were arms around me saying, my child, what have you done with your life? And with that, something changed in me. Something dramatically changed to me. So I have it all figured out in my head that I'm going to call Ray and tell him I think I had some kind of encounter with God. And I had listed the things that I was going to say to him. Had it all planned. Ray comes over reluctantly. And I had been crying. And he could see that I'd been crying. And he said, um, what, what, what's going on? I said, well, I think I had an encounter with God this morning. And he goes, What? And everything that I had mapped out to say to him, those words didn't come out of my mouth. Some other things came out of my mouth. Like, three things are apparent to me. I know that I need you in my life. Whoa, where'd that one come from? (laughs) Two, I want you to give up your apartment and come move back here with me and the boys. Whoa, definitely didn't like that one. And then God put the last one in, and I think I want to go to that Bible study with you. I don't know where that one came from either. The rest is kind of history. We ended up going to the Bible study together. We ended up getting married here in 19, again in 1999 after he told Frank and our pastor Keith first before they told me, he told me that we were getting remarried. And they're calling me saying, Linda, congratulations. I'm like, what for? So <laughs> that's kind of where it ended. So uh, again, um, just the mercy of God to take... Two people that were going in different directions and just bring them back together. It's just uh, unbelievable. I'd like to end with an appeal. I want to make an appeal to those that are considering getting in the wheelbarrow, um, saying I do, accepting the gift. Listen to me carefully. Take a shot with Jesus Christ, give him a shot. You know, Frank asked a question a few weeks ago. Who in here has kept all Ten Commandments perfectly? Nobody raised their hand. 
None of us did. That means we're all lawbreakers. We've broken the law. It makes us criminals. It means we have a rap sheet. And this is what Jesus is yelling down from heaven. You have a rap sheet that you can't handle. I want you to give it to me. Let me take your rap sheet for you. So, again, I, I, I just, I ask you, if you're considering making this choice, give it to Jesus Christ, because I guarantee you, he will take it and he will do with your life things that you cannot imagine. He will take two people like us who couldn't stand each other, couldn't stay in the same room together, and bring us back in a relationship that honors him. So, if, if I give you some advice, just do that. Just get along with God and say, I know I got a rap sheet, and I know you want it. I want to give it to you. And you know what? Give Jesus Christ a shot. Thank you, guys. God bless you. both so much that uh, never get tired of hearing that story. Um, well, okay, well, let's, uh, let's break into our manual tonight for probably no good reason. Um, page 30, I believe, is where we're on the topic, session 5, why and how do I pray? You know, the why, the why portion of, of, of this question is fairly straightforward. When you think about it, why do I pray? Well, because God has encouraged me to. God has welcomed me to. How do I pray? Now, that's another thing altogether. As, as Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, uh, let me count the ways. Because first we're going to talk about what is prayer not? What is prayer not? Prayer is, is not, uh, let's make a deal. Prayer is not, I'll give you ten of these if you'll give me two of those. Prayer is not my thinking what I can get God to do and get God to not do what I don't want him to do. Uh, that's meology. That's the BVM currency for those of you who've been around that long to remember that. That's transactional. That's non-relational. And if prayer is not something, it is not transactional and not non, and it, and it is immensely relational. Prayer is, and it's not, you know, when, in, in my tradition, I would, I would pray to pray down my debt. I would pray so many prayers so that finally I would be at a zero balance with God. I don't know if you've had that experience before. So praying for me was not necessarily something of joy because God is listening. It was I was either in a big hole because of something I needed, something I had done or something I needed from him or I'd had a religious experience or just had a, done something to where I knew I needed to pray these prayers and that would basically be the currency that I would use to get me back at a zero balance until I went back again and had to pray more prayers to get me back to a zero balance to then go back and have another situation where I had to pray more prayers to get me to a zero balance and that was fully transactional and frustrating it had nothing really to do with the depth of what prayer is and so tonight we're just going to talk about what, is, what does the Bible say in a very introductory way what does the Bible say prayer is well 
According to the Bible, prayer is the most important activity of our lives. It's conversation with God. <laughs> it's conversation with God, with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All of them are involved. And just as there are stereotypes that, that keep us outside the pages of the Bible, there are stereotypes of prayer that keep us from communicating biblically. And biblical prayer is that which is proper, it's that which is personal, it's that which can be spontaneous and intimate. And the Bible, of course, as we've talked about, is the instrument and is instrumental in teaching us what prayer with God is, between us and God is, and what it's not. Uh, Oswald Chambers, a missionary and author, Oswald Chambers wrote this. He said, prayer is not a means of developing ourselves or getting what we want from God. Prayer is the nourishment, it's the food, it's the energy of God's life in us. Prayer is the way we get to know God. And so for those of, of you who have gotten in the wheelbarrow or said I do, you're in Christ, that Oswald, makes that, Oswald Chambers makes that statement, for those who are in Christ, prayer is the way we get to grow in our knowledge of who God is. It's the way we get to know, you know, really prayer, when we begin to talk to God about where we are, like Ray was saying, you know, earlier, there's this emptiness in me, I, I don't quite know what to do. That's where God begins to show us that we are not in Christ and that we need a Savior. And so even communicating with God is how God opens our, our understanding to know that we need Him. And so prayer is also, it's two-way conversation. It's talking and listening. I do a lot better with the talking part than the listening part. But the listening part is very important. And God speaks directly to us. He'll speak to us through our senses. He'll speak to us through others, through circumstances. He speaks to us through the Bible. We'll talk a lot about that tonight. And prayer really, if you think about this, prayer is our lifeline to God. The problem is too though that prayer is a word that we use so much that it just kind of had all the meaning shaken out of it. So what is prayer? It is communication. It is conversation. It is being with God. And, and why is that? Because we, we've been talking about the last five weeks. For God so loved us that he gave his Son, we see, you know, Jesus said this. He said that we should come to him if, we, if we're weary and we're burdened. He'll give us rest. See, why do you come to someone? You come to someone because you want to be with them or you need something. You come for the point of communication. And Jesus is the one who initiates this and says, Hey, I know everything there is to know about you. I know more about you than you know about you. And I know that you're worse than you think you are. But come to me. Come to me who I am totally holy. Always have been. Totally pure. Totally righteous. But come to me just as you are. I'm not looking for you to try to clean up your act to where you can feel like finally you can get close. And so Jesus is telling all of us, all of us who have sinned, all of us who have come short of what's acceptable to God, to come to Him. And He calls us to come to Him to communicate with Him. To be with Him. And look, just like we get to know one another by being together with one another, 
so it is with God. So let's look at some of the instructions on praying. The Bible tells us that prayer is addressed to the Father, right? It's addressed to the Father. It's not addressed to a maid, not addressed to a butler, not addressed uh, to the next door neighbor. Prayer is, communication is addressed to God. Look what Jesus says here concerning prayer. But when you pray, now, now hear this. I don't know, maybe you're familiar with this scripture. We're going to break it down a little bit. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, when you hear that, what does that say to you? It says that God is saying, I want you to come and be with me. Not in the Superdome, but I want you to come and be with me in your room. I want you to come and close the door. And I want you to come and pray to me, your father, your dad, your Abba. Do you see that Jesus has set up here an immensely personal and intimate setting for those of us to come to God. And then your Father who sees what is done in, in secret will reward you. Now look, we typically think of reward as new car, new job, new house, new diamond ring, new, new whatever stuff. I, I would argue that the reward there, that reward is as much the greatest reward of prayer is not something that you get more it's a knowledge of the someone who is God that we get a greater understanding of. And so we see that prayer is addressed to the Father. The scripture gives us no other direction for prayer than to God the Father. And prayer is also, it is through the Son. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, For through Him, that is Jesus, we both, he's talking to both Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now, we have access to whom by one Spirit? We have access to the Father. So it's through Jesus. Jesus is the one that, is, that, that grants us admission. He's the one by which there is access to God the Father. And I, I love that thought. I mean, the, the picture I kind of get here of this is... Imagine you just... You get accepted and you go to work for a Fortune 1 company. The Fortune 1 company. Whatever the biggest company in the world is. I have no idea what that is today. And your job is that of a mailroom clerk. But it's the chairman of the board, chief executive officer, who invited you to come to work for the company. And he says to you, whatever question you have, whatever needs you have, whatever issue you have, I don't want you to go to the, I don't want you to go to your supervisor. I don't want you to go to your supervisor's manager. I don't want you to go to your manager's director. I don't want you to go to your director's vice president. I want you to go to your vice president's executive vice president. I want you to come directly to me. So when I see this, what is this telling me? Is that God has no prayer understudies. 
He calls us to come directly to Him. The scripture says we have access to God, the Father, the one who created all things, created us and made us acceptable to Him because He longs for you and me to know Him, to communicate with Him. And then we see that Paul tells Timothy in his letter, there is one God and there is one mediator, one access, one person that brings me into entrance with the Father and that is the man, Christ Jesus. So prayer is to the Father, prayer is through the Son, and prayer is by the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the Spirit of God, the Scripture tells us. And we're going to get much more into who the Holy Spirit is in week 8. So two weeks from now, we're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. But I love this. Paul writes to the church at Rome, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. You ever been there? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to pray for. But look what the Scripture says. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Here is the intimate awareness of God on our behalf. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all involved with communication with you and with me. Not some ritualized, corporate type of thing. Not some transactional, relationless activity. But that which is between God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and the likes of you and the likes of me. It's amazing. Just amazing. We see the love of God for us. So prayer is for the purpose of communicating, as we've said. And that really, how can we know anything about anyone if not for conversation and communication? But as we've said, prayer is not dialogue with just anybody. Not just some, like some salesman at dinner, at the dinner table. It's not uh, a political survey call, which we get all the time on our phones. But what if, what if you were to get a call from the president of the United States of America? I mean, the president has picked up the phone and he's just giving you a call. I mean, how would you feel about that? <laughs> Would you excuse me for just one second? I hate when he does this. Yes, Mr. President. Really? He wants to syndicate hot or not. Yeah, yes, sir. It's between me and Morgan Freeman who's going to be the MC. You're having trouble getting people to volunteer for the show. Yes, sir, I, I can understand that. But, uh, yes, but could I, could I get back to you, really? Um, okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're going to try to get that alpha course together for the Congress. Yes, we're going to do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That, that was not the President of the United States. <laughs> But I like the hot or not syndicated thing. I kind of like that. Um, but how exciting, regardless of your political persuasion, okay, you may not like the President of the United States one bit, 
But if he picked up the phone and called you, what would you be doing the next day? What would you be doing the moment you hung up with him? I got a call from the President of the United States. He was really asking for me. He did not butt dial me. He actually wanted to talk to me. How much more? Really, how much more? I mean, just think about this. That the God of the universe... Wants to talk to you. Not just for a minute. Not for a a day. At all moments of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade of your life. Of my life. Now if that is true, if we were just sit and soak in that for just a little bit. I believe it would change the way we look at what it means to know this God and hear him. And communicate him. And I guarantee you, we, you, you and I would be looking for every opportunity there would be. Every door, every window, every nook and cranny to figure out how can I get to know him more? How can I get to hear from him more? Just amazing. And even, even God's name speaks communication. John chapter 1, verse 1, the Gospel of John. This is what John writes. In the beginning was the word. <laughs> you see, even God's name says, I'm talking. You're reading. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word, scripture goes on to say, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us. So even his, even his name says interaction. Even his name says, let's get together. And then when Jesus is about to leave the planet, he's facing crucifixion the next day. This is what he says in John 17. He says, this is eternal life. Here's eternal life. That you know... The question is, know what? That you know... The scriptures. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what Jesus says. That you know what time church meets on Sunday mornings. That's nice, but that is not what he says. That you would know all the rules and regulations. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, eternal life, which is experiencing the life that God has, right? Who's eternal? God. So what kind of life are we talking about? God's life. This is eternal life for you, whom I've given eternal life, if you trust me. This is eternal life, that you know the Father and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. So God is calling you and me not into transactional, relationless interaction. He is calling us to know him. Eternal life is knowing him. And how do you get to know anybody but by spending time with them is just not possible. Eternal life is not about getting something. Not your ticket stamped to go to heaven. Not a coupon. Eternal life is receiving the God who is eternal, who gives life so that you and I can communicate with him now in the dash and forever on the other side of our last heartbeat. So how do you come to know anyone? Now, we've got some guests here that I am going to put on the spot. 
Uh, Marge, is it? Yeah, I know. I knew I'd get that look from you. Marge and Mike here. And I appreciate these guys, too, very much being here. Now, just you can stay seated, but I have a microphone for you. So, so Mike, I'm going to... Who do I want to do this to? I mean, uh, with. Um, okay, okay, okay. Let me just... All right. Okay, now, this is your husband, correct? Yes. Okay. Okay, so one for one. We're doing well so far. Um, how many years have you known this man? 51 and a half. 51 and a half years. Yeah. How, uh, how much did you know this man 53 years ago? I didn't. You didn't know him. How about 52 years ago? No, I don't think I no, did. So how about 51 and a half years ago? How much did you know him? We might have passed by each okay. other. How about 40 years ago? How much did you know him? Very well. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> very well. Okay. Should Marsh. I go on? I should, no, no. He's got my number. <laughs> I, I should have given you the microphone, Mike. <laughs> so how long have you been, been married? 50 years, August the 24th this year. Really? We're, Annette and I are 40, the 26th. That's, that's, oh, that's nice. Okay, big deal. Okay, so, um, so how much did you trust him 53 years ago? Well, I didn't know him 53. That's 50. right. So you couldn't trust him. No. Right? But I would have had I known him. That's probably true. So, so how much did you trust him 50 years ago? Very much. Very much. Why is that? Because you got to? Love him. You're ahead of me. <laughs> but you got to know him, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. And the more you knew him, the more you trusted him. I trusted him from the beginning. Yeah, you're, she was easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the more you knew him, the more you trusted him. The more you trusted him, the more you loved him. Loved him. And the more you loved him... Would you say the more you wanted to serve him or the less you wanted to serve him? I've always wanted to serve him. Wow. I just feel like we need to stand up and let them renew their vows right now. I just, this is great. So, so here's the point. Mike, do you have anything to say in, in answer to that? Do She's you, right. She's right. Okay, that's good. That's good. She's always right. Say that again. She's always right. Yeah. Now there is a smart man. Thank you both very much. So, so the more, the more Marge knew him, the more time she spent with him, the more she, she trusted him, and the more she trusted him, the more she loved him, and the more she loved him, the more she wanted to serve him and it's great when when that happens but that's kind of the picture of god but you know it doesn't always doesn't always work that way unfortunately there are some <laughs> couples that so really really so really it's a really tragic tragic story but um this this man here and his wife went to, um, they went on a vacation to Jerusalem. And um, while they were there, unexpectedly, uh, his wife passed away. 
Yeah. Um, the undertaker came along and told the husband, um, look, you could have her shipped home for um, $15,000 or we could bury her body here in the Holy Land and, and, and she can be here in Jerusalem and it'll only cost $150. <laughs> He thought about that. He said, you know, I'll, I'll just go ahead and I'm, I'm going to ship her back to the States. I, I think that would be good. He said, why, the undertaker said, would you spend $15,000 to ship your wife home when it would be wonderful, fabulous for her to be buried here in Israel, in Jerusalem, and it only cost you 150 bucks? Well, the widower replied, well, long ago, a man died here. And three days later... <laughs> three days later, he, he rose from the dead, and I just can't take that chance. So... So anyway, um, let me get them off of here so we can. Um, but the, the truth really is with God, the more you know him, like Mike and Marge, like I would say like Annette and me, the more we've known, get to know one another, the more we've trusted and loved and desire to serve one another because we love one another, not to get her or him to love you or me. It's, it's the fruit of love is service. And that service is joyful. It's, it's, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about, about communication in, in terms of marriage, what it meant to, to believe. And we talked about the fact that uh, to say I do is to believe, that we can re- believe all the right things about somebody, but until we say I do... Right In marriage, we haven't. We've just believed about that person, but we haven't actually given our lives to that person and that, life, that person given their lives to us. Well, and so really, that marriage ceremony is just the beginning of years that pass like weeks of relationship and growing in relationship. So imagine if Annette and I were to say, I do... We go, you know, through, you know, back down the altar of the church, doors open there. But, and strangely, there's two, there's two limousines there. People have thrown all the, you know, environmentally efficient stuff and birdseed and all that. And, and, uh, but the two, and so we go to the limousine. Annette gets in one limousine. I get in the other limousine. And we pop our heads up out of the moonroof. This is crazy. They're they're pointing in opposite directions. And we pop our heads out of the moonroof. And that facing me, me facing her saying, that was a beautiful ceremony. Why don't we get together again sometime, you know, and just kind of reenact it. That's insane. Marriage, saying I do, getting in the wheelbarrow, receiving the gift, is just the beginning So when we say yes to Christ, it is just the beginning. Well, 
But it's, it feels weird. It feels awkward. It's so different than anything I've ever heard of or ever experienced before. That's what marriage is, right? It, that's what it is. And there's lots of surprises along the way. The question is this. When Annette and I said, I do, and the minister pronounced us man and wife, how married were we? Are we married more 40 years later than we were on the moment we were married? Please shake your head no. Okay. All right. The moment I do was said, we were signed, sealed, delivered. Thank you for not doing that. Signed, sealed, and delivered, married. Now, what's happened over the course of 40 years? We've gotten to know one another more, trust one another more, we love one another more, we serve one another more. But we're no more married 40 years later than we were the moment we said, I do. The problem was, the challenge was, we had 21 years of living single. We had lots of experience in being single. We had very little experience in being married. And so the more we grew in living a married one flesh life, the more we dissipated in living a single what you done for me lately life. And that's what happens in a life with God that is consumed by Him through prayer. Now we see here just some examples. There's an example in Mark about Jesus' model of prayer. And I need to hurry up here, so I'm going to probably, unfortunately, skip some, some slides here. But look, very early in the morning, the scripture tells us, Jesus, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed, where he talked to his father, where he got alone with his father. Now, he did it very early in the morning when it was still dark, and you know why, don't you? Because once the day gets started... It's a black slope, man. It is a black double diamond going downhill fast. And it's important. So whether it's early in the morning or late at night, Jesus prayed then too, or off in the middle of the day, that importance of just getting with Him. And we talk about the fact that there are, in, in the manual there, that the rewards of prayer. And I would say, again, that reward is getting to know God more. And the more we get to know Him, the more we experience Him. We experience His love. We experience His joy in the midst of grievous things. There's still joy. And I didn't say happiness. I said joy. See, happiness is what happens when good things happen. And unhappiness is what happens when bad things happen. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about this undulating curve. I'm talking about a joy that comes from this God who comes to live in the person who has said I do to him, who has received the gift, who surrendered their lives to him. So love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and meekness and kindness and self-control, all those things that God offers and desires for us to have and those, that fruit, if you will, grows the more we communicate with Him through His Word, the more we communicate with Him in ways in which He desires us to communicate with Him. Now, on page 31, the question is, does God always answer 
prayer? I would say the answer to that is yes. He answers the prayer, yes, I'll do that. He answers the prayer, not now. He answers the prayer, no. And sometimes he answers the prayer, you have got to be out of your mind if you think I'm going to answer that. But here's, I think, the the joy of this, knowing that prayer is mostly about knowing God and interacting with Him. Because the more we know Him, the more we know His mind, the more we know His heart, the more we learn His will. This is something that I think is interesting. Prayer may or may not change things. But prayer, communicating with God, listening to God, being with God, that looks to God and His will, will always change the one praying. So prayer is more about my being changed into the image and the character of God's Son than it is my getting what I think I want now in the short run. God thinks about the short run, but He always thinks of the short run in terms of the long run. He always thinks of it in terms of how it's not just going to affect me, but it's going to affect others. God sees the big picture of prayer, and I don't see it like he does. And that is growing in faith to realize if he did not answer that prayer, yes, there's a reason for it that I don't understand. I may not like it, and he knows that. And I'll let him know that, by the way, at times. But he is patient with me and is teaching you and me. And maybe tonight you guys can talk about some of those examples at your table. So um, let me just skip quickly through um, these two scriptures here. Uh, I wish I had time. But, but look at what John Stott says. Stott says, if God says no, the requests are either not good in themselves or not good for us or others directly or indirectly, immediately or ultimately. I love what Jack Taylor says. He said, I believe I'm more grateful for the prayers God didn't answer yes to than I am for the ones he did. Because I'd been ruined. So how do we pray? Well, one of the things you guys will talk tonight about, uh, may talk about at your tables, an acrostic called ACTS. A-C-T-S. That may be something I'll talk about in terms of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and a fancy word called supplication. But one of the wonderful ways to pray is to pray Scripture back to God. Take the Word, open it, and take whatever seems to be third person or second person and make it first person. And one of the easiest ways to do that is Psalm Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And turn that to say, Lord, you are my shepherd. And because you are my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. You, Lord, make me lie down in green pastures. And you, Lord, lead me beside still waters. Lord, you restore my soul. So we we read Psalm 23 way too late in life. Why did Psalm 23 make it to the funerals? Not that I'm opposed to Psalm 23 and funerals, But Psalm 23 is much more effective while we're here than when we're not here. And so just taking scriptures, and and tonight you guys can talk about some of that. And And the Psalms are prayers. That's what they are. They're songs and they're prayers. And I would encourage you there.
But one of the, one, one of the scriptures that we're most familiar with is the one that contains the prayer that we call the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, which I think most, most correctly or more correctly would be called the Disciples' Prayer. Thank you for that. Um, but let's just look at this because we have a tendency of we have a tendency of just going through this and in the tradition which I grew up in, my fault, but I just didn't take this as seriously as I, I should have. Uh, look at the Our Father. We look at the Our Father as a as a model of prayer and as an outline of prayer as opposed to something I just rifled through mindlessly. Now, if I'm communicating with God, I don't think I should be rifling through communication mindlessly. Not that I haven't. But none of us want to have communication with someone if they're really not paying attention. And the the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer, whatever. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13, he he says, When you pray, pray this way. Or pray like this. I don't believe Jesus intended for us to pray, as I said, a mindless mantra. Like the details of a, of a radio car commercial with the MSRP at the end. Uh, and let's just see this. Because I believe God gave us an outline. An outline and a table of contents, if you will, in prayer. Where you and I get to write the contents of the chapters. So that the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, our, the Disciples' Prayer becomes more of an outline that we fill in with words than just something we rifle through from Our Father who art in heaven and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Let's just take a look at that for a minute. Real quickly. Ooh, real quickly. So let's do the, the, the Lord's Prayer as a Disciples' a outline of prayer. Our Father... Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your, thy name. And so instead of just praying the next verse, fill that in. Look for scriptures that it talks about the holiness of God. Look for scriptures where it talks about the fatherhood of God and begin to fill that in and build your spiritual muscle with scriptures that talk about the fact that one, God, Jesus Christ would instruct us to Call God our dad, our father, and that he is holy. And that will build us in the knowledge of God's fatherhood. And it will build us in the name, in the, in the fact of God's holiness. Your name is holy. I am not. My name is not. So we can fill that in. And then secondly, your kingdom come. The kingdom is where the king is. And for those of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, have gotten in the wheelbarrow, the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is within. Jesus comes to live in us and take up his abode in us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Your will be done in me as it is in heaven. And just begin to look at scriptures that talk about the will of God for our lives. And just begin to fill this into. And let it feed us and wash over us. Uh, give us this day. Oh, where am I? Okay, you're king right under the uh, Give us this day our daily bread. Ask God for... Father wants to know what our needs are. 
Father wants to communicate with us. He wants us to be dependent upon him in every way. And he wants to show himself dependable in every way. And then, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But just to ask this question, Father, who is there on this planet that I am harboring ill will toward? Who is there that I am harboring ill will toward? Now think, think about this for a minute. Just take a moment with me. Just think about the worst thing you've ever done. Okay, think about the worst thing you've ever done. All right, Gail, you want to go first? No? Okay. I can tell you something worse that you have done. The worst thing you can think of you've done, I can tell you something worse that you've done, something worse that I've done. You are responsible for hanging the Holy Son of God on a cross. Responsible for the Son of God's life. Father, forgive our debts. As we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors. Now, if God has forgiven me through His Son, Jesus hanging there, Father, do what? Forgive them. I can only imagine some of the heartbreak in this room. I can only imagine some of the offenses that each and every one of you have faced. People just done you wrong. But if God can forgive the likes of me at the price of the life of his son, who can I not forgive? Nothing they've done to me could be worse than what I did to you. Lord, and yet you forgive me. And then lead us not into temptation. Lord, I do a good enough job of leading myself into temptation. Right? But deliver us, God, from evil. But you know, as we've talked about this, the greatest prayer there is, and I'll I'll close with this, and Ronald, if you'll come up, we're going to do this, buddy. If... uh, um, The greatest, most important prayer is really the one of surrender. The two most important words I ever said to my wife, and there have been a lot of important ones, was the one, were the two that started us off as one flesh. And that was, I do. And so, have you considered this? That Alpha may be the connection, the phone line, that God has chosen to communicate with you His love for you in a way in which you had no idea His love was laid out for you. That His desire was for you to come to Him, to say, I do, to receive the gift, to get in the wheelbarrow, to turn away from your life apart from Him, to use that religious word, repent, simply means to turn the other way, to turn away from the life you're living and turn to His life. If so... I just want to encourage you again tonight. You've you've heard just to silently between you and God. Go into your room right now. And close the door right now. 
and pray to the God who wants to become your father right now. And say, Lord, come into my life. Take over my life. I'm not worthy, but I trust that what Jesus did for me has paid the way for me to be your son, to be your daughter. So what we're going to do is, I've asked Ron to just lead us in a song because part of what prayer is, is singing. And we can sing prayer. But prayer is not just singing and it's not just talking. Prayer is even doing. The way in which we care for one another is prayer. The way in which we work our jobs can be prayer because God sees all of it. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean we live our lives on our knees physically. But it does mean we live our lives on our knees spiritually. So that all of life is a communication to God that I love you, I thank you, I need you. I am so grateful that you have forgiven me and made me your son and your daughter. So Ron's going to lead us in a song. Then we'll take a break. Uh, and I'll actually, I'll lead us in a song and then I'll come right back up for a, a quick second. And you feel free to sing along if you'd like or just let the words fill your heart. Let this be a conversation between you and the Lord. Meditate on these words. If you pick up the melody, join me in singing. If you know it, sing with me. All I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveals and wars to own. All I once thought came, I have counted most, spent and worthless now compared to this knowing you Jesus knowing you there is no greater thing you're my all you're the best you're my joy my righteousness and I love And I love you, Lord. Oh, to know the power of your risen life, and to know you in your sufferings, to become like you in your death, my Lord. So with you, to. And then 
one of us here by name according to the scripture you knit us together in our mother's womb you, you know all of our days you knew all of our days even before there was one of them you tell us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and Lord I, I just know tonight there's some people in here that don't feel like they are fearfully and wonderfully made Would you, by your measureless love, would you open their eyes to see, each of our eyes to see, how high and wide and long and deep is your love, Lord, for each and every one of us? Regardless of the pain that we've experienced, regardless of the rejection, regardless of the guilt, regardless of the things we've done, that you know every one of us by name. And Lord, what, what I'm simply asking and what we're asking for one another is that you would, by your grace, let us hear you speak our name. To know that you have loved us with an undying love, with an everlasting love. And it's because of your loving kindness toward each and every one of us you have drawn us. And so would you open our hearts to that love right now and let us just cast aside all those feelings, all those thoughts, everything that would keep us from experiencing deeply, intimately, now and forever, eternal life, which is knowing you, Father, and Jesus Christ whom you sent to come and get us and to bring us home. Amen. Amen. Well, look, next week we're going to talk about, the topic is, how can I resist evil? And uh, it's an interesting topic. It is not the very next one in the book. It is session. If somebody gets there before me, please tell me. I think it's, a, I don't know if it's 11 or not. 12? Thank you very much. So that's session 12. I want to encourage you just to go ahead, look at some of those scriptures and spend some time in that. Next week we will be there. I want to encourage you to sign up for the Alpha Weekend tonight and we'll turn those in. It's completely free of charge. If you want to bring somebody with you Friday night and Saturday, if you can only come Friday and can't come Saturday, only come Saturday, can't come Friday, that's fine. We just want to be, have you here. So let's take a really, really, really quick break. Thank you all for being here and we can't wait to see you next week.